Well, we are back in the story today, and uh, we are today in chapter 16. That's page 219. It's entitled, The Beginning of the End, specifically talking about the northern kingdom. Uh, we would call the northern kingdom Israel, and uh, today they're not going to do so well. It's going to be the end of the northern kingdom. Next Sunday, we'll be in chapter 17, and uh, we'll be looking at the end of the southern kingdom uh, called Judah. That's where the capital, Jerusalem, was located, and the Babylonians are going to march in, and it's not going to be good. Okay, I, I went to Google's maps, and I, I plotted with uh, precision uh, uh, some, uh, some things here for you on the whiteboard. Uh, we've got tiny little Israel here. I, I don't know if you can see it there in the back, but uh, I'll uh, underline Israel. Uh, tiny, defenseless, fragile, uh, and they're kind of swimming here in a, a school of great white shark-like nations. Okay, that, that's how I would determine. They're kind of like the baby seal, and, and, and the great big white sharks are circling. Uh, let me talk a little bit to uh, the south is uh, the long-time power Egypt. Uh, they certainly weren't the great mighty power that they were at one time, uh, but they were still uh, a world-class power. Um, to the southwest would be the rising nation of Babylon. We're going to hear more about the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar next Sunday. Uh, they weren't quite uh, the king in the mountain at this time, but they were on the rise. So you've got uh, Egypt, you've got Babylon, and who do you suppose the biggest, baddest bully in town at this time was? It, it was the Assyrians. Uh, and uh, these were not nice people. Uh, they, they did not go easily on their victims. And uh, if you got under them, you were in deep trouble. So here's my question. How does a small, vulnerable country like Israel, a little baby seal, how does it survive surrounded by great white sharks? And here's the answer. You ready? You make lots of strategic alliances. You do everything you can to make terms of peace with, with these, these big sharks around you and make sure that they allow you to remain alive. So specifically, since the biggest, baddest bully in the world this time was Assyria, uh, they made a strategic alliance with the Assyrians. And uh, basically what they did is they said, yes, we will gladly pay extreme taxes and extreme tariffs, whatever, you name it, we'll pay it. Uh, we will sell you grain and livestock at a loss. Even though it cost us more than what we're selling it to you, that's okay. That's okay, big white shark. We'll, we'll give it to you. And uh, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. Just don't attack and devour our people. Now, Hosea, H-O-S-H-E-A, was the king of the baby seal Israel, the northern ten tribes at this time. So Hosea, uh, he, he says to himself, you know, I got this deal going with the Assyrians, but maybe 
I could make a side deal with the Egyptians. See how he's thinking? Uh, I, I got a good thing going with the Assyrians, but if I could kind of play it off, maybe it would be to our advantage. So he makes another strategic alliance with the Egyptians. Here's the problem with, with that move. Um, Shalamanser, the king of Assyria, found out about it. <laughs> he found out he was being two-timed. You understand what I'm talking about? He, he found out that uh, he didn't have uh, exclusive rights to that little baby seal. So Shalamanser considered that secret alliance with Egypt an act of treason. And he did what he always did. If he was two-timed, if he was crossed, if he was lied to, if you even sneezed wrong in his presence, he attacked in 722 B.C. Uh, Assyria attacked the northern ten tribes with the normal Assyrian uh, ferocity. And, and I'm telling you, here's what they did. This was standard Assyrian policy. Uh, we go, we torture, we humiliate, especially the armies. Uh, we will sever as many heads as we deem necessary. So they were known for their large piles of severed heads. And then they would take the, the headless bodies and they would take... Uh, spears, put them in the ground, and they placed the bodies in that spear. You tracking with me? Uh, so you, you see hundreds of heads, and all around are these bodies on spears. That was their message to everybody, don't mess with Assyria. Uh, those that they considered dangerous, those that they considered rebellious, those that they considered useless, they, uh, they often skinned people alive. And I'm not even going to go there, but it, it was about as awful as you can think. And uh, that, that was just an extra measure, an extra warning shot. Don't mess with us. We're the Assyrians. Now, the fortunate ones, you ready for this? There were 27,000 fortunate ones in Israel. Uh, and they only had steel hooks, large steel hooks, uh, run through their nose, and then they would attach the hooks to chains, and they were led away into captivity to be slaves for the rest of their lives. Okay, so so that's that's what's going on here uh, in the ancient world, 722 B.C. Uh, so Shalemanser dies, and uh, one of his successors was named Sennacherib. Want to say it with me? Sennacherib. It's kind of it's a great name on Super Bowl Sunday, don't you think? You know, Sennacherib. And I and I wonder, did he prefer baby backs or spare ribs? I'm not sure. Uh, again, Bible puns for pastors with ADD. Uh, anyway, Sennacherib decided, okay, we, we've, we've got the, the big boy, Israel, at least in, in terms of Israel, God's chosen. Uh, now I'm going to go after the smaller one. I'm going to go after the capital city. Jerusalem is going to be the next victim. Uh, the king of, uh, of Judah at this time was Hezekiah. And this would be 
uh, Judah right here, okay? There we go. Great skills, don't you think? Calligraphy class for many years. Um, anyway, Hezekiah was one of those rare kings. He was actually a godly king who feared the Lord and did it God's way according to the book. If you have your Bible, go to 2 Kings chapter 18 real quick, would you? I, I, I want to show you a few things. In 2 Kings chapter 18, uh, Snacherib, king of Assyria, sent this message. Has the God of any nation ever delivered anybody from my hand? Has the God of any nation ever delivered his people, those people who cried out to their God, when the Assyrians came to attack? And the answer up, this point, up to this point, nope, <laughs> nobody ever got saved. Uh, so he says, give up or I'm going to come in and I'm going to do even worse things to you than we did to your brothers in Israel. Give up and give up now. Uh, and Hezekiah is thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Second Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn there, um, right in the beginning, verses 1 and 2, he tears his clothes his messengers tear their clothes. They put on sackcloth. All the officials put on sackcloth. We're, we're in mourning. It's a bad day. And if God doesn't do something powerful, we're in deep trouble. King Hezekiah sends for the preacher, sends for Isaiah, God's prophet. And Isaiah comes into Hezekiah and says, Good news. God's going to do some amazing things here. Okay, so, so Jehovah God, he's going to work here. Not exactly sure what he's going to do, but God's going to do some really good stuff. And I like verse 14, 2 Kings 19, 14. Um, here's what Hezekiah does. He takes Hezekiah's threatening letter, and it was just full of threats. I'm going to do this to you, and I'm going to do that. Uh, he opens up the letter, and he cries out before God. And he says, oh, Lord, here's the threats. Here's all the bad stuff. And he prayed, Lord, uh, I, I just need you to come through at this time. Um, and, and I just want to read you his prayer then as he has this laid out before the Lord. I, and I love it. We're going to start in verse 15. He says, uh, And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth, uh, give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule you, the living God. It is true, Lord, the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wooden stone fashioned by human hands. Uh, verse 19, now, Lord God. Deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord, our God. Isn't that a good prayer? Powerful. He's humble. He's broken. He's got sackcloth. And, and, and now I want to fast forward there. Go to the end of chapter 19. Slide down, and, and I want to show you the, the end of the prayer, verse 35. Uh, here's the end of the prayer. Here's how uh, God responded. That night, the night uh, that he prayed, uh, the angel of the Lord went out 
and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were, there were all these 185,000 dead bodies. Verse 36, So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. <laughs> we're getting out of here. He returned to Nineveh, and I like this, and he stayed put. <laughs> I'm not going back there again. I don't know what's up there, but 185,000 of my soldiers just woke up dead. Uh, I'm not going to mess with, with those people anymore. And, and he went back and he stayed there. Is that not an amazing answer to prayer? Go ahead, you can respond. Uh, you know, is that not an awesome answer to, to a humble, desperate cry of prayer to the Lord? And, and your answer is, yeah, wow, that's fun. That's fun. Now, I want to tell you a little bit of the rest of the story. History tells us Sennacherib went back to Assyria, and while he was in the temple of his god back in Nineveh, did anybody else have, have to go to Nineveh? Anybody else asked to go to preach in Nineveh? Anybody? Anybody who? Jonah, yeah, that whale of a prophet was asked to go, and, he, and, and the Lord said, I want you to go to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? You mean the people who pile heads? You mean the people who put the bodies on spears? No, thank you. I'm going the other direction. So you understand a little bit, don't you? Uh, anyway, um, uh, what history tells us, and this is kind of cool, uh, Sennacherib was in the temple of his god, and his two sons plotted against him because they said, you know, dad's never going to give up the throne. He likes being king, and we want to be king. So his two sons murdered their dad in the temple of his little G, God, and seized the throne from Sennacherib. So uh, again, the Lord worked powerfully, uh, and, and he miraculously rescued his chosen people. But here's my question. That's really good for Judah, right? How come the Lord didn't work powerfully and miraculously and save the northern kingdom? How come the Lord didn't work powerfully and miraculously when the Assyrians came in and attacked and defeated and slaughtered and dragged away into captivity their northern brothers, the, the northern ten tribes? And I can even ask this ahead of time because we're going to look at it next week. And, and next week we're going to say, and Lord, why didn't you do the same thing when the Babylonians came knocking at our door. Why did you allow Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, about 150 years later, why did you allow them to attack and slaughter and drag away your chosen people? Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6? Because we're going to find the answer there, believe it or not. Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, we're going to commission the Haiti team next week. They're going to head out uh, on Thursday, February 16th. Well, Isaiah gets commissioned here and uh, commissioned for his calling, commissioned to be God's prophet, God's spokesman to Israel and to Judah. Um, would you stand with me if you're able? We're going to read the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 6 out loud together. You ready? Here we go. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Let's pray. Lord, would you teach us this morning? And uh, we need you to open our eyes so we can hear from you through your inspired book and soften our hearts to help us to understand what it is that these words have to say to us. Enable us to hear your still small voice. May uh, we, your church in Walloon Lake, be willing and ready to follow Isaiah's lead here. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one voice, you can be seated. Isaiah is standing in God's temple here, feeling small and sinful and devastated by God's holiness. <laughs> small, sinful, and, and suddenly when he looks at God's holiness, he's just devastated by the comparison. This is a picture a lot like Revelation chapter 4. And if you compare Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4 and the seraphim and they're crying out and they've got the same message, well, well of course, because it's, it's the same temple and it's the same God and they're, they're worshiping the Lord and calling out continuously, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Again. Holy, holy, holy. Can you just imagine? And this is going to go on for all of eternity. Now, when Isaiah realizes he's in the presence of the Lord, he's pretty sure he's going to die. He realizes where he's at. He's read his uh, Moses, and he gets it. And suddenly now, uh, he knows that on Mount Sinai, the mountain shook, covered with smoke. Uh, I'm in deep trouble. My eyes have seen the king. I'm pretty sure I'm going to die now. I would say, if you want a comparison, I, I think Isaiah felt like a little baby grasshopper at the boot of a giant. So he realizes how awesome God Almighty is and how tiny and puny and insignificant he is, but it's way more than that. It wasn't just the size and the power, 
Isaiah felt filthy. He felt sinful. He knew he was a great sinner, and now I'm in the presence of holy, pure, righteous glory. And he's, he, he's so concerned, he says, I'm a sinner. I, my lips are unclean. I'm not qualified to be your spokesman. I'm not qualified to be here right now. I'm in deep trouble. Look at verse 6. So one of the angels takes one of the coals from the altar of God and brings cleansing and brings atonement to a sinner named Isaiah. And again, we'd say, well, he's one of God's best. <laughs> he's, he's like near the top of the class. He's like near, near being valedictorian. And yet, the valedictorian realizes, I'm, I'm a great sinner. And I'm filthy in God's presence. And I have a great need for cleansing and atonement. Now, do you remember two weeks ago when chalk artist Matthew Bowman was up here? Okay, do you guys remember that? Okay. Uh, as, as I turn this board around, I, I need to say, this is not that. Okay? Okay. <laughs> Got it? <laughs> okay. Just as long as we're all clear. And uh, we, we got a little picture here. Uh, puny little Isaiah is devastated by who he is in comparison to holy, righteous God. i got to get the right one here. But, but th this is, if you're up in the balcony, that's little puny Isaiah. And he's before, it says, the king. He, he's before the king in his glory before the king in his throne room. And it's like, oh boy, this is not good. Um, look at verse 7. This is interesting. Only the king had the power and the authority to cleanse sin. Tracking? Only the king had the power to take guilt away and bring atonement to great sinners. It's only the king... Uh, this says king up here in balcony, okay? Uh, trust me. By the way, I went to Google Images and I said stick figure of a king. It's pretty nice. Yes, there you go. Uh, and that's just an exact representation of, of what they said on Google Images. But any, anyway, um, I, I'm just here to tell you that in the presence of awesome, pure, righteous, holy God, um, Isaiah knew he was in trouble. And he was one of the best. Um, the response of a holy, pure, righteous, glorious God to sin is not no big deal, Isaiah. Not that big of a problem. I give you a pass and a wink and a nod at sin. That's not what happens here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29, says that our God is a consuming fire. Think with me now. Our God is a consuming fire. Specifically, one day, God's holiness will consume all sin and all unrighteousness. 
So the reason that Jehovah God allowed his chosen people to be attacked, track with me, the reason that Jehovah God allowed his people, the ones he loved, and specifically chose to be defeated and slaughtered and dragged away into captivity by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians is they never got this memo of Isaiah chapter 6. They got it, but it didn't compute. They weren't tracking. Uh, they, they didn't really believe what God said was true about himself. They assumed that God was just kind of an indulgent old man who, who would look at their sin and look at their rebellion and, and look at their idol worship and look at all that they would rejected and he would just say, you know what, it's okay, I won't hold you accountable. I like uh, what biblical scholar N.T. Wright said about this. Listen close. The biblical doctrine of God's wrath is rooted in the doctrine of God as the good, wise, and loving creator who hates, yes, hates anything that spoils, defaces, distorts, or damages his beautiful creation. And in particular, anything that does that to his image-bearing creatures. And who are his image-bearing creatures? Point to who, who are his image-bearing creatures. Me <laughs> and you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Isaiah, he saw the king's greatness and the king's holiness, and then he sought and received from the king the king's cleansing, the, clean, the king's forgiveness, the king's atonement for his sin. And I just want you to know, in contrast, God's chosen people, Israel and later Judah, they were stiff-necked and they refused to acknowledge their sin and their rebellion. Are you tracking? They refused to acknowledge this picture of who they were and who their holy, righteous, awesome God really was. And the sad consequence? Jehovah God allowed His chosen people to be dragged away because they refused to acknowledge their sinfulness. Give me your eyes. They refused to cry out like Isaiah had, and sought healing and cleansing and forgiveness from the king. We don't need that. I think we're okay. I, I think he'll just give us a free pass. And let me just go on the record. The king here is none other than Jesus Christ. The king in his temple in Revelation chapter 4, and the king in his temple back in Isaiah chapter 6, is the same king. It's Jesus. And uh, the king makes provision for all the people of the world. Did you know that? The king says, I, I don't want all nations, I don't want all people have to be treated as I needed to treat my chosen. He makes provision for all people for all time. Men and women, boys and girls. So, uh, what's the provision? You ready? Here's the provision. Okay? And the provision 
is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. That, that's the provision. And it applied to the folks back in the old section of the book. They were looking forward to the provision of the king to come. And it applies to us on this side of the cross. And he's made the provision for us on what he did in giving his body and shedding his blood for our sin problem. The greatest glory in the universe, give me your eyes, is when the creator and sustainer of all creation, the savior of mankind, bends down to touch the diseased, sin, sinful lips of people like you and I. Think with me. And, and the king of the universe touches the sinful lips and lives of people like you and me. And then he says, I've made provision. You can be my children. You can belong to me. So, what was the provision? What specifically was it that he provided? And, and how was it that Isaiah was able to receive that provision? Go back to the text, Isaiah 6. I, I want to show you. I want to show you, okay? First, um, verse 5, um, you have to recognize that you're in the presence of holy, righteous, glorious God Almighty, the King in His glory, okay? That's the first thing you see. He realized who God was, and therefore, he, I'm wrecked. I'm dead. I, I, I'm in deep trouble because I realize who you are. That's the first step to receiving the provision. Tracking? Second step is recognizing that in comparison to who you are, because uh, I'm in the presence of the king, uh, but I am a person of unclean lips. And, and, and I've said things I, I never should have said. And... and, and in comparison, I am a sick, sinful sinner, guilty and unclean. Tracking? So, so he realized, you're righteous and holy and glorious and the king of kings, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a desperate sinner. Final thing. Isaiah accepted the provision of healing. Verse 6, then the king provides for this sinner named Isaiah, and he provides and he brings cleansing and atonement to Isaiah. I realize that I'm in deep trouble and I need your provision, and the king does just that for Isaiah and offers cleansing and healing and wholeness. And we know that comes specifically through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The wrath of the king is real. Our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 11:29. But his holiness purifies any who will turn to him in faith. Now that's the good news. We say, "Oh no, he, he's he's going to pour out his wrath." Yeah, but anybody who turns and accepts his provision He'll welcome into his family as his children. That's the good news. Okay? So here's my final question, and we're done this morning. 
Are you living like the Jews who Jehovah God judged today? And here's what I mean by that. Are you living as though, you know what, I'm a pretty good person and I'm pretty nice and I think God is going to look at me and I'm hopeful that he's going to grade on the curve and I think that I'm better than a lot of other folks and I'm pretty sure he's going to say, eh, come on, you're doing pretty good, you're doing okay and he'll just let me come on in. Where are you living like Isaiah? Are you living in such a, a, and it's not just when you come to Christ, you continue to live to say, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I say that every Sunday, oh Lord, I'm devastated by my sinfulness, I'm in great need, King Jesus, Uh, all week long I've been living and I've been stepping in stuff and I've been participating in stuff. Lord, I, I need your cleansing. I need you to take away my guilt. You do the first time when you come to him by faith. But that's the way we need to continue to live. Are you tracking? So, so you come to, to Christ the King that way the first time, and then daily you live that way for the rest of your journey with Jesus. And almost every, every time if I'm talking to people, they'll say, um, is there an option three? <laughs> is, is there something... Somewhere between living like the, the stiff-necked Jews and, and living like Isaiah. And, and I'm sad to report that Jesus said, there's how many roads? Two. There, there's, there's the wide road that leads to destruction, and most people take that road. And then there's this other road. It's called what? It's the narrow road. And actually few people take that road. So which of those two are you on? Which road are you on today? You see, the Jews in the north, they would have said, you know, we're, we're really nice religious people. We're doing okay. Next week we'll see the, the southern kingdom, Judah. We're, we're really religious people. We're good people. We're nice. We do lots of religious stuff. And it's obvious that they were on the wrong road. Which road are you on this morning? Bow your heads. I just want to ask a question and then I'm going to be quiet for a few moments. Would you be willing to say, Lord, would you make it clear and obvious which road I'm on? I really, I really want to know. On the day of judgment, I don't want to be shocked. I don't want to find out that I was convinced I was okay. I was good. I got my ticket to heaven. Got my fire insurance. Make yourself clear. Am I on the broad road? Wide road that leads to destruction? Or am I on that, that narrow road? that leads to eternal life.
Lord, you know my heart right now, and I'm, I'm not interested in causing anyone who belongs to you, who's walking with you, whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, Lord my heart, and I know your heart, is not that any of them would be shaken and caused to doubt. But Lord, my heart is, is really about those who are here who should be shaken, who, who should be asking hard questions, who should be doubting because they're on the wrong road. right now, I, I need to ask. Do you know with certainty which road you're on? Are you, are you on the narrow road? The road that Isaiah demonstrated and presented to us? Recognizing holy, righteous, pure, glorious God Almighty, the King puny, sinful, prone to wander, me, desperate for the provision of Jesus. Yeah, for the first time, absolutely, but also daily. Or is it possible that you're here today and Maybe like those Jews in, in the north, the ten tribes, or maybe like uh, Jerusalem and Judah in the south next Sunday. Religious? Nice person doing good stuff? Hoping that uh, maybe you'll be good enough that Jesus will give you the wink and let you sneak in? I tell you, that's, that's destruction thinking. That's wide road philosophy. Jesus doesn't grade on the curve. <laughs> the truth is we're all failures. We all failed the class. We're all sinners. And the only solution is the provision of Christ. Anybody here who'd say, you know what? Um, I'm not sure if I'm on the narrow road, or, or maybe you'd even be honest enough to just say, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not on that narrow road. Uh, and the consequences are enormous. The consequences are eternal. So before you all leave, I need to ask. Anybody say, I, I think I'm on the wrong road. I wish there was a third option, but if there's only two, uh, my life right now, it looks like, it feels like, uh, more like that wide road. And I need to get on the right one today. Anybody 
you'd say, that's, that's me. I'd love to pray with you. Won't embarrass you. Yeah. Not sure I'm on that, that good road. Others? Not on, on the road that I need to be on. Anybody else? Yeah. Appreciate your honesty. I'm not going to call you out. But I guess I, I want to I lead you in the provision of getting on the right road. Anybody else? Don't think I'm on the right road. I, I think I'm, I'm on that wide one and it's not a good ending and I don't, I don't want that to be my future. Anybody else? Okay, those of you who responded or maybe uh, you should have raised your hand and you didn't, this can apply to you too. You ready? Jesus provided for you all that you need to get on the narrow road. Isn't that good news? The king said, you know what? I love you so much. I don't want you to face my wrath. I don't want you to face my judgment. I want you to belong to me, be a part of my family, be one of my kids. So that's what you need to know first. But the provision includes some pretty key things. First, you need to recognize He's glorious. He's awesome. He's righteous. He's pure. He's holy. And He can't allow us rebellious, great sinners to just enter His kingdom in that state. He's a consuming fire. Great news. Ready? As, as a great sinner, as someone who realizes I, I'm, I'm filthy, I'm, I'm dirty by my sin, got unclean lips, and I tell you what, if Isaiah thought that about himself, it's true for all of us. Lord, I desperately realize I need your provision, and, and Jesus made that for you. Isn't that good news? Jesus took your place on the cross. Do you believe that? Just say, Jesus, I believe. And Jesus, I believe you shed your blood to be the provision for my great sin problem. Great news. And Jesus, I believe you took my place in that tomb. I deserve to die for my sins. You died in my place. Ready for some more good news? He didn't stay dead. Early Sunday morning, literally, bodily, physically, Jesus arose from the dead for you, for me. He's alive. Jesus, I believe that. Just tell him, I believe that. By faith, I believe that your provision brings atonement, brings cleansing, brings new life to the sinner's By faith right now, Jesus, I receive you. I receive your cleansing. I receive your atonement. I receive your salvation. You come and take charge. And Christian, that's the way we got to live. Every day. It's not just the day of salvation, but every day recognizing what a great sinner I am, but what a great Savior Jesus is.
fall down and you sin and you say something that never should have been said. You look at something that never should have been looked at. You think thoughts and attitudes that are awful. He made provision for that too on the cross. Confess, wash, cleanse, get up, follow Jesus some more. Lord, we love you. You're awesome. Thanks for uh, the example of Isaiah. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. Hey, if you raised your hand, did you know that every Sunday over here in the prayer chapel, we got folks who would love to meet and talk with you, uh, encourage you. You need that? Make your way over there. Lord bless you. Chapter 17 next week. You are dismissed.